You are listening to the teaching podcast of Praise Community Church in Mason City, Iowa. For more information about our church, please visit praisecc.org. Before I get in the sermon this morning, I want to just also <clears throat> draw your attention to the sermon outline. Uh, on that back page, again, there's another way for us uh, to be uh, thinking of our giving, uh, especially as we kind of encounter uh, Thanksgiving this coming week, as we all have many, many things to be thankful for. Uh, among those things are, you know, food. Um, and, you know, just knowing uh, that we're going to be gathering with family uh, and friends this week, again, it's just a great opportunity to remember those maybe who are less fortunate uh, in our community. And so, uh, we are collecting food items for the Hawkeye Harvest Food Bank. Uh, there is information on the very back side of that uh, sermon outline. It'll tell you a little bit more about the food bank. And then uh, we visited with them and just asked for some specific items that they were in particular need of. And so we've listed those. Um, and so as you're out maybe shopping and making preparations this week for your Thanksgiving, uh, maybe it would be a great opportunity to just remember uh, those who are under-resourced in our community um, and maybe just pick up a few of those items. You can bring them uh, here to the church. There's a place right outside the uh, sanctuary doors here, big sign with the Hawkeye Harvest Food Bank donations. You can just leave your items there, and then at the end of the month, we'll kind of collect all of those. And we'll make sure that those get to uh, the Hawkeye Harvest Food Bank. Many of you may remember a ministry uh, from the 1980s called the PTL Club. And its lead pastors, uh, Jim and Tammy Faye Baker. And I was a fairly new Christian uh, at the time. And I was pretty shocked by the criminal allegations that were uh, made public in March of 1987. I mean, there were accusations of mail fraud, wire fraud, conspiracy, adultery, rape, financial malfeasance of millions of dollars. And all of this kind of just became fodder for late night comedians, skits on Saturday Night Live, and all kinds of media scrutiny and criticisms of Christianity and the church as a whole. And then in 1989, Jim Baker went on to be convicted of 24 counts of various crimes and was sentenced to 45 years in prison. Now it was interesting because around the same time, all of this controversy with the PTL Club and the Bakers was unfolding there was another very well-known televangelist, Pastor Jimmy Swaggart, who was implicated in a sex scandal involving a prostitute. And that revelation ended his ministry, and he went on to be uh, defrocked uh, as a pastor in the Assembly of God denomination. And once again, uh, you know, Swaggart's conduct really started calling into question much of what was happening with pastors and churches around the country, and Christianity and the church was taking a real beating in the public arena. As a believer, as a church attender, as a pastor, there are just some headlines and stories about pastors and churches you just never want to see. And it's even harder when those kinds of stories are kind of unfolding um, right in your very own church. I remember I was serving as the associate pastor. Um, is there water? <clears throat> Somebody? I remember serving as an associate pastor 
at the Methodist Church in Sheldon, Iowa. And I had a high school student who worked with me in the area of youth ministry for several years. Uh, He was a very strong believer, very, very gifted. Many of the youth looked up to him admired him, and I had left there and and came to Mason City, and he had moved on to another church and was serving as their youth pastor. Several years later, I remember the phone call I received from him one day telling me he had gotten one of the high school girls from his youth group pregnant. So what do you do when you get a call or calls like it, a call that a church member has had an affair or a staff person has behaved unethically or a prominent leader has abandoned his family? Regardless of the call, the problem really is the same. People in the church living in blatant, unrepentant, immoral Sin And unfortunately, once that sin is made public, it hurts not only those directly involved, but it also affects the church and the community as well. So what do you do when when sin rears its ugly head in the church? Now fortunately, the scriptures are pretty clear. And again, first it's important, you want to confront all of those who are involved privately. If leadership is involved, the sin should be brought before the church. If the parties involved profess faith in Christ, again, we offer forgiveness and and we initiate a process of restoration. But the sad truth is, is many times there are serious sins that are ignored in the church or we just buy into that notion that we talked about last week and we think, well, who am I to judge and do nothing? Sometimes blatant sin in the church is handled biblically, but sadly in the vast majority of cases, it is not. And I think one of the reasons why Christians have so little influence with those outside the church is because we are experts at condemning those who are on the outside while cutting enormous slack for those who are on the inside. Last week we looked briefly at 1 Peter 4.17 and it says this, judgment must begin at the house of God. Judgment must begin at the house of God. And again, we come to church and we expect the pastor, you know, from time to time to kind of deal with hot button cultural issues such as divorce, immorality, pornography, materialism, greed, selfishness, and apathy outside the church with judgment. But when it comes to all those things inside the church, we expect mercy because again, who are we to judge? The truth of the matter is we've lost the ability to judge those outside the church because we refuse to judge those inside the church. When people outside the church see people living inside the church, living like people outside the church, while the church condemns those outside the church and cuts slack for those inside the church, it's no wonder that our light has lost its flicker and our salt has lost its flavor. We're in a series of messages called uh, Baggage, and today we're going to be dealing with baggage the church as a whole needs to lose, and maybe some of us inside these walls need to lose as well. Now, it's a hard seat that I'm going to sit in today because I'm going to sit in the middle seat. Anybody who's ever flown on a larger plane knows the most uncomfortable, most undesirable seat on the airplane is the middle seat. 
And whenever we talk about judging sin and, and dealing with sinners, we are always in the middle seat because there are two kinds of sinners. There are those sinners outside the church who frankly we should expect to sin because they don't have a relationship with God. And then there are sinners inside the church who we should expect not to live in continuous blatant sin because they do know and they have a relationship with God. So if you have your Bibles with you this morning, let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and let me just describe the problem we find in chapter 5. There was a member of the church in Corinth who professed to be a Christ follower and he was living with a woman to whom he was not married. Now, worse than this, he was living with his stepmother. And as bad as that was, he went further by flaunting his sin both in the church and in the community. And as bad as that problem was, there was an even greater problem. There was a problem with a person named everybody and a person named nobody. And the problem, simply put, was everybody knew about the problem, but nobody was doing anything about it. What was the result? The character of the church was badly compromised, and so the witness of the church was being diminished and weakened, and this church in Corinth was a church that needed to lose some baggage, but chose not to. So what do we do when Christians inside the church, Christ followers who are living in open, rebellious, and blatant sin like that man in the Corinth church? When a church is in that situation, I believe there are at least three things we need to do. And the first thing is we want to lovingly correct the sinner. Now, without question, one of the most fascinating churches in the New Testament was the church at Corinth. It was probably, among many things, it was probably one of the first in reality TV. Okay, the people in this church were kind of a combination of two and a half men and desperate housewives. Okay, this was a church the Kardashians would have felt right at home in because at one point in the life of this Corinthian church, the Apostle Paul introduces us into a very dysfunctional situation, and it is this. There is a man in that congregation who is sleeping with his stepmother. Now, in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1, Paul kind of states the problem. And Paul says, it is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that is not even tolerated among pagans for a man has his father's wife. Now, let me just go ahead and state the obvious. I mean, this whole situation is very disturbing, now, we don't know if the father had died or if he had found out about this uh, forbidden, immoral relationship and, and just left, but a son is now sleeping in his father's bed with a woman who had been his father's wife. And not only does the Old Testament clearly condemn this kind of relationship, but Paul said back in the day, not even pagans would consider doing something like this. And what makes it even worse, by the way, is this stepmother was most likely not a Christian. 
She most likely was not even a member of the church because Paul doesn't even deal with her. Paul doesn't even really give the church any direction regarding her. And not only is this man living in sin, but living in sin with an unbeliever, which magnifies the problem of a believer living just like an unbeliever. And the ripples of this sin are far-reaching. And the reason Paul knew about this to begin with was because the sin had been actually reported. Now that word actually, it is a very strong Greek word that literally means commonly. In other words, common knowledge. It was common knowledge in the church, in the community. It wasn't just that the church knew about what was going on. The community knew about it. The city knew about it. The county knew about it. Everybody knew what was going on inside that church there in Corinth. And if that wasn't bad enough, listen to how the church was reacting to it. Verse 2, Paul says, and you are arrogant. Ought you not rather to mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from among you. So the church was so focused on how good, how relevant, how hip they looked on the outside that they didn't want to focus on the cancer that was growing on the inside. And unfortunately, some of you can relate to this. When you find out you have cancer, arrogance just kind of goes right out the window, When you have cancer in your body, you don't brag about your bank account. You don't brag about the car you drive anymore. You don't brag about the house you live in anymore. All of that has become irrelevant. When you find out you have cancer, you have one focus and one focus only, and that is how do I get rid of this? And likewise, when there is sin in the church, the church shouldn't have a big head about it. It should have a broken heart. And the word for mourn there, it is a word that refers to mourning over a dead person. Instead of wearing white like they were going to a party, this church in Corinth should have been wearing black as if they were going to a funeral. And what Paul says is strong but very true. Just like cancer, Paul says, let him who has done this be removed from among you. Those are tough words. Those are strong words. Those are difficult words. When you have a cancerous tumor, you don't pat it on the head. You don't say, well, that's just how cancer acts. You don't ignore it, joke about it, or put up with it. You cut it out because that is the most loving thing you can do for the body. When it comes to cancer, it is the job of the doctor to cut it out. When it comes to blatant immoral sin in the church, the job of the church is to judge the sin and deal with the sinner. We deal with it. We don't ignore it. And yes, those of you who love that quote, judge not, lest you be judged. You've heard me correctly. Listen to Paul's words in verse 3. For he says, for though absent in the body, meaning I'm not there among you, he said, I am present in spirit, and as if present, I have already pronounced judgment on the one who did such a thing. Now let that phrase sink in. 
I already pronounced judgment. When it comes to sin in the life of those of us who claim to follow Jesus, we not only have a right, but we have a responsibility to judge sin. And Paul is saying to the church there in Corinth, in effect, I am not waiting on you. I examined the evidence, I have rendered the verdict, and I have passed the sentence. Now, if you're shocked at what you've heard thus far, buckle your seatbelt because listen to what Paul orders this church to do in carrying out the sentence in verses four through five. He said, when you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and my spirit is present with the power of our Lord Jesus, you are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that his spirit might be saved in the day of the Lord. That's strong. That's after Pentecost. Boy, it's quiet in here. Now, I don't know exactly what it means to deliver someone to Satan for the destruction of their flesh, but I'll tell you this, it doesn't sound good at all. Basically, they were to go to this professing brother, this active church member who was actively living in unrepentant, immoral, rebellious sin and say, we are delivering you, your flesh, your body, and your life over to Satan. Satan, he is yours. Have a nice day. Practically speaking, what they did was to excommunicate him from the church. They said to him, in effect, we are revoking your membership. You are no longer in good standing with us. You are no longer going to fellowship with us until you come to your senses, get your heart right, and get right with God. Do you you see the problem here? Paul was concerned about this man's sin, but what grieved Paul more than the man's sin was the church's indifference to the sin. If you don't hear anything else, I say this morning, listen to this, when there is sin in the church and the church does not deal with that sin, that sin in the church becomes the sin of the church. When there is sin in the camp and the camp does not deal with that sin, the sin in the camp becomes the sin of the camp. Contrary to popular opinion these days, there is nothing unbiblical about calling sin, sin. There is nothing unbiblical about confronting a church member, a professing Christian with his sin and calling that person to repentance. In fact, if the church doesn't judge sin, God will eventually judge the church. So the first step is we must lovingly confront and correct the sinner. Second step is we must spiritually correct the church. Now here's a problem, or here is the problem, when a church allows sin to fester and flourish in the fellowship. Listen to verses six six through seven. Your boasting is not good. 
Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Cleanse out the old leaven so that you may be a new lump as you really are unleavened. So as you listen to what Paul's saying, it's really not that difficult. The point he's making here is very plain and simple. Sin in the church is like cancer in the body. It spreads. It contaminates. Like the old saying goes, one bad apple spoils the whole barrel. Do you realize good apples don't make bad apples good? Bad apples make good apples bad. It doesn't take a whole lot of a bad thing to ruin a good thing. Sometimes just a little bit too much can ruin a good thing. Take salt. I like a little salt on just about all foods. I think salt, you know, makes meat taste better. Salt makes vegetables taste better. Casseroles taste better. So a little salt can be a good thing. Now, just a side note here. How many of you have played this little prank in a restaurant? Right before you leave the restaurant, you grab the salt and pepper shakers, and you unscrew the lids and just kind of leave them loosely sitting on there so the next patron uh, who eats in that particular booth reaches for that salt shaker to tap a little salt on their food, and the shaker top comes off and covers their food in salt. Since confession is good for the soul, I have done that. (laughs) How many others here have done that, pulled that prank? Yeah. What's the problem? Too much salt. A little salt was fine, but too much salt is awful. Too much salt tastes horrible. Uh, Too much salt, instead of it becoming uh, a seasoning, uh, uh, it becomes sour. Instead of flavorful, it kind of becomes flavorless. And the point is just a little bit of a bad thing can ruin a good thing. And it is the job of the church to deal with sin lovingly but firmly whenever It finds it. And we don't seem to have a problem with that in other areas. We make sure that our vegetable gardens are weeded out. Because otherwise we know those weeds can grow and overcome and kill the plants. We know that cancerous tumors in our physical body, they need to come out because we know that if left in there, the cancer will spread and it will sicken and eventually kill the entire body. Again, remember, the sin that nobody deals with becomes sin that eventually everyone is affected by and has to deal with. I think the greatest problem people have today with what Paul's talking about here, what we're talking about here this morning, is we have forgotten what the church is. The church, it's not a country club. It is a body of believers. It is a place where there is accountability in both the good areas and the areas that we all struggle in. If there's a tumor on the pancreas, the liver doesn't say, well, who am I to judge the pancreas? If the pancreas is not dealt with soon, the liver will be sick. Soon the entire body will be also. Now, if you're sitting right there and you're saying, you know, just just hold on here just a second. You know, my sin is none of your business. May I correct you? If you are a member of this church, your sin is my business, my sin is your business, 
And our sins are the business of every brother and sister in this fellowship because we made a covenant to God and to one another. Your sin not only affects you, but your sin affects me because we together are a part of one body. Now please understand, I am not talking about being someone's policeman. Nobody is gonna be following you if you drive down the road and you go one mile over the speed limit and call me and say, we gotta deal with this guy. He is out of control and he is a problem. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the sin the Bible defines as sin that becomes destructive and harmful to the body of the church. It is our job. It is our responsibility. It is our biblical mandate as a church, as believers, to lovingly confront the sin within the church. It is our job to spiritually protect the church. Because when we lovingly confront the sinner and spiritually correct the church, this results in something else very important. Thirdly, then we positively affect the world. It becomes about our witness to the community. Verse nine, Paul says, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. Evidently, this is not the first time Paul has had to deal with this issue in this church. It tells me Paul had written a previous letter to this church we have not seen. And he wants to clear up any misunderstandings. He's saying, listen, there are two types of people who sin. There are those who sin who we should expect to sin because they don't know God. They are outside the church and they need God's mercy. But then there are those people who sin who we should not expect to sin And those people are living inside the church. To them, we must give accountability. We must confront. We must speak the truth in love. He goes on in verse 10, and he says, not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters, since then you would need to go out of this world. The very people whose company we do avoid, we shouldn't avoid. Do you realize it's not sinful or wrong to know people or to have contact with people who are reprobates, atheists, fornicators, homosexuals, and agnostics? That's who Jesus hung out with most of the time, people outside the church. Jesus even said, it's not the healthy that need a hospital, it's the sick that need the hospital. People outside the church. And yet, aren't those the very people we love to avoid, and to judge. Aren't those the very people we love to condemn? Aren't those the very people we love to isolate ourselves from? Then Paul says this in verse 11. He says, but now I am writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed or is an idolater, reveler, drunkard, or swindler, not even to eat with such a one. When it comes to a church member, a professing believer who is living in known open sin of a serious nature and refuses to repent, who refuses to repent when confronted, 
in a loving, biblical fashion. Paul says we are not to even associate with them. That word associate means to keep company with. It doesn't mean that you don't speak to them. It doesn't mean you become cruel and unkind and hard. But Paul says it means no fellowship. And this may sound harsh, but let me tell you why it is so necessary. A professing believer who is living in sin is out of fellowship with God. And if he is out of fellowship with God, he shouldn't have fellowship with you. And by the way, you notice Paul refers to this person as someone who bears the name brother. And again, not every church member is a true Christ follower. Not everyone who calls themselves a brother in a Christian sense is a brother. We can't judge the heart, but we can say you profess to be a follower of Christ and you are a member of this church. If you keep acting like this, I can no longer have fellowship with you. The problem is the church then and the church now has it backwards. We refuse to associate with people who live like you would expect them to live, but we associate with people who aren't living like we expect they should be living. And that is why Paul finishes up by saying in verse 12 through 13, for what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge. And by the way, that is a rhetorical question. God judges those outside, purge the evil person from among you. Let me just close by saying this. The reason why we are to judge sin with those on the inside of the church is not to reject them, but to restore them. Okay, it is not to reject them It is to restore them. It's not because we don't love them, but it's because we do. And sometimes love can be tough. Love can be difficult. It's not our job to judge sinners who should live like sinners. It is our job to judge saints who shouldn't live like sinners. And too many churches want to keep sick sinners out and keep sinning saints in. And folks, there's something wrong with that picture. As I said last week, as a church, as individual believers, we must always be willing and diligent, striving to take the plank out of our eye for those of us who are inside the church before we attempt to take the speck out of the eyes of those who are outside the church. We must be willing first to look in the mirror before we look out the window. Also, we must never be shy or complacent about calling sin, sin. And when there is blatant immoral sin within the body of Christ, we must commit to being consistent, quick, loving, compassionate, and gentle in dealing with it. Amen? All right, you may stand. Lord, this is a tough one to pray over. And yet, Lord, I just, I feel like what you would want to say to us, Lord, is that we want to take sin serious. We want to take sin serious in our own lives. We want to take sin serious in the life of others, especially those that are a part of this church, a part of this fellowship. 
And Lord, it is so easy and it is convenient and it feels loving to just look the other way, to not take that time to approach that brother or that sister. And God, as difficult as that may be, to be able to confront them in a loving way, in a way that is really calling them to restoration and not rejection. And yet, God, here is a whole chapter of the Bible that is really set aside and really, again, speaks to the seriousness of sin in the church and the church's role in dealing with that. And God, we do want to be a church that, that takes sin serious. We want to be a church that is gracious, that is kind and open uh, to those who are on the outside, God, those who need to hear the message of the good news of the gospel. And yet at the same time, God, we, we want to be serious. We want to be diligent. We want to be consistent. We want to be a, a church that, that deals with this and not just sweeps it under the rug, hoping it'll go away or take care of itself. So God, this morning, I, I just pray, Lord, that we as a body would just commit ourselves to lovingly caring for this body. And Lord, that we would deal with the things that need to be dealt with. We would say the things that need to be said. That God, we would again just ask God for your leadership over this church. That God, when there are things that, that need to be dealt with, that God, you would equip that you would give courage to our leadership, to our membership. And that again, God, we want to be committed to being a healthy, vibrant, fully functioning body of Christ here. So God, again, as difficult as this is, I just ask, Lord, that again, we would just commit our hearts, that we would commit our church, that we would commit one another to this kind of loving community. And we just thank you, Lord, for, again, the ways that you're dealing with each of us in grace. And God, that we would continue to deal with one another in grace. But God, we would also be able to do that in, in truth and in sound judgment. And we just thank you for all of this. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks for listening. For more information about Praise Community Church, including gathering times and events, please visit us at praisecc.org.